first episode of The Deep Sea with Donna Lee. I am your host, Dr. Donna Lee Granville. So who am I? I'm an educator. I'm a proud HBCU graduate from the illustrious Spelman College. Gotta do that Spelman here because so you know it's real, right? Um, I'm a Jamaican bad gal from Brooklyn, New York, and I'm also a sociologist. And for the purposes of The Deep Sea, I will be your resident guide every time we show up here. And what we'll do here is take sociological frameworks and ideas and apply them to us so we can better better understand who we're becoming, how we're evolving, and also take inspired action to change the things that we don't like about ourselves and the world around us. I hope you'll join me every other Monday for that exploration. Now, why am I so passionate about this? So much so that I'm taking myself out of my very comfortable classroom space to talk to y'all on YouTube and like on video and on a podcast format like Apple or Spotify. Why am I doing this? It's really because I believe that sociological thinking is what we need right now. There's what I do as a sociologist in academia. I show up, I teach, I do research, I write about social problems and topics, but then there's also sociological thinking. It needs to be accessible to everyone if it's to be the tool of liberation and transformation that I'm really wholeheartedly fully convinced that it actually is. So today's episode is all about making sure we're very clear what sociology is. Sociology is not the discipline that the children of rich white liberals take to piss off their parents. Neither is it the discipline that the children of immigrants are scared to take to piss off their parents, right? It is actually a transformational way of thinking. So this episode is all about that making sure we know what sociology is, and also helping me not feel so annoyed and crazy whenever I find y'all talking foolishness about why it's pointless. No, it's very relevant, and we're going to make that clear today. Also for today's episode, I've got one really big idea that I'm going to unpack in three points, and I'm going to use a few people to help me make my argument. One of those people is our ancestor of honor today on MLK Day. It's Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who Fun fact, graduated with a sociology degree from Morehouse. So that tells you where I'm already heading. We're also going to recognize some wise words and gems dropped by Bell Hooks, another ancestor. We'll tie in a classic canonical text in sociology from C. Wright Mills, a very well-known sociologist. And I'm also going to weave in something that might seem a little bit more woo-woo and weird for a sociologist to include, which is some work from Eckhart Tolle. It's going to be a wild ride. So let's jump in and get ready for this deep dive. So the first point that I wanna make clear about sociology is this. It exists to help us gain awareness for self-understanding and direction. If I can offer a really simple definition of sociology, it's this. It is, yes, the study of society. But what that means is that we're trying to understand who are the people in it? What are they doing? And what are the consequences, whether intended or unintended, of the choices and actions that they're taking? Now, C. Wright Mills is the very well-known sociologist that introduces this idea of the sociological imagination. So whenever I say sociological thinking, that's what I'm talking about. 
And Mills was especially clear in wanting this to be a way of empowering individuals to understand themselves and to better understand the choices that they're making. Sociologists never just focus on what is happening within individuals or to individuals. We're always about connecting individuals to the larger society. So sociology exists to help us become more aware, to become more conscious about the world that we live in, how that world affects us, the choices that we make, the decisions and actions that we take, and also to acknowledge that sometimes we're being affected in ways that are detrimental, that diminish the quality and longevity of our lives. Sociological thinking is actually designed to help us take inspired action. It's designed to help us make changes not only within our own lives, but also to think about the social changes that we wanna see in the world that we live in. Here's why, I'll give you one example. We've been talking a lot and we've seen a lot of news about medical racism. We've seen it evidenced in things like the black maternal mortality rate, which continues to baffle us despite thinking about race and class and gender issues, right? We're seeing this happening for black women at a rate that is unparalleled. I absolutely believe that if we've got people who are trained in sociological thinking, they can acknowledge some of the dynamics that are behind the scenes that lead to these results. It helps us acknowledge that some of the patterns of inequality that we see come down to some of the stuff that's happening within us and how we then show up in the world that we live in. That's the kind of transformational thinking that sociology encourages. Now this episode drops on MLK Day for a number of reasons, but one of them is because, hey, maybe you don't know this, but MLK was a sociologist. And I think he is a great example of the way that sociological thinking leads to inspired action, and in his case, inspired activism. Activism that we all benefit from today. Now, I want to talk about a speech that we rarely talk about. Everybody knows MLK Day, we tried out all these different segments of the I Have a Dream speech, but have you ever heard of his speech that he gave in 1967 to the American Psychological Association? It's titled The Role of the Behavioral Scientist in the Civil Rights Movement. So let's put a little background context on this speech. This is a young 38-year-old recent Nobel Peace Prize winner standing in front of this room of likely white men and basically saying, look, get on your job because you're failing at it. Now, it's also important that we understand the social context of what's happening, right? We've got the passage of the Civil Rights Act, and this is after much agitation from the civil rights movement. We've got the Vietnam War going on. We've got Malcolm X assassinated. We've got JFK assassinated as well. The social context of the time is perilous, and it means that MLK is saying sociological thinking is even more important now. But I do want to pull out just a couple of important ideas from that speech that makes it very clear why MLK would believe that sociology is transformational in terms of how it allows us to think and develop awareness and hopefully free ourselves from the perils and the evils <laughs> of our society sometimes, right? One of the things he says is that for social scientists, the opportunity to serve in a life-giving purpose is a humanist challenge of rare distinction. I mean, well, dang it. Tell me that my job is important then. Tell me that sociological thinking is important. That's exactly what he's done. But here's the other piece that I find to be even more important. Social scientists in the main are fortunate to be able to extirpate evil not to invent it. That means we have the power to get rid of evil. Whoa, now I feel like a superhero. <laughs> Second thing, if the Negro needs social sciences for direction and for self-understanding, the white society is in even more urgent need. And there we have it, folks. 
sociology exists to help us gain awareness for self-understanding and direction. And I want to make it clear, it doesn't matter where you find yourself in the higher in any hierarchy in society, right? Whether you find yourself in a privileged group or a targeted group, sociological thinking helps to make clear, right, or give us self-understanding, help us to better understand who we are, how we're being shaped by this world that we live in at this point in time, and then to make decisions that direct us in the way we want to go. I think it's really important to note that this speech is also MLK challenging social scientists to tell it like it is, literally. He says, we are not telling it like it is. And actually, if there's good social science research out there, it helps us to better understand the changes that we want and what opposition we might face. He spends a good deal of time talking about the fact that social science should have warned us that Black folks were going to face this backlash for seeking for their freedom, for fighting for civil rights. That social science should be on the front lines, making it clear how to understand and address the racial dynamics that are really, really um, influencing these patterns of inequality that we see, especially in the lives of Black people. And also the ways that white folks are able to remain ignorant of the consequences that Black folks face simply because they're Black. I really love that MLK lays out a very clear framework for what social science should be doing. We should be talking about the contemporary social problems that people are facing, but we should also be empowering them to, number one, develop self-understanding, and number two, direction. And for me, that direction is about inspired action that encourages us to engage in efforts towards social justice and social change, right? So we can actually do what MLK says, extirpate evil, get rid of it, eradicate it, and live in a society that looks and is actually beneficial for all of us and not just a select few. That's why sociology exists. So I've been talking about sociology as helping us gain and sort of raise our awareness, right? Develop our consciousness. And the truth is that as a sociologist, oftentimes I'm not figuring out the awareness thing because I'm like, oh, this is going to help me raise my awareness. I'm actually figuring it out because I lack awareness in an issue. My most recent sort of example is a really big decision that I made in the last year. It was to walk away from an engagement. Now, as a woman of a certain age, which is none of your business, the, the messages and the signs that I get from society are, hey, you should be married. You're not valuable if you don't have a ring on that finger, right? You got a lot of degrees, but you don't have a man. Like, what's wrong with you? All of that. I also have in my head this narrative that says that there's certain things that should be happening for me at this age, right? I'm not going to lie to y'all. <laughs> I got Miss New York you know, the reality TV star. And there's this meme where she's like, I want my last name dropped. I want my eggs correct. Honey, in my head, in my head, right? As I went back and forth about whether or not I still wanted to be in this relationship, whether or not I wanted to be engaged, my awareness was growing as I realized that, hey, <laughs> I'm actually battling some very gendered ideas along the way that I've sort of taken on, right? I am in many ways having to reject a very popular narrative that says that I'm not valuable if there's not a man attached to me. Now I recognize as a sociologist that some of that is a holdover from a past time. There was a point in time where women were not seen as autonomous individuals. They needed a man to be seen that way, but that is not today. And so my awareness allowed me to make a decision that was actually more in line with what I wanted. Getting aware for me meant actually owning and addressing some very uncomfortable truths. I knew I was unhappy, but I was still also battling certain ideas about my worth and value as a woman. 
getting aware meant acknowledging that those ideas aren't actually what I really think. And some of the work I had to do was to separate what I really think from what I've been taught to believe and to think and to expect about myself at this point in my life. That is where sociological thinking really helped show and helped me figure out what decision I really wanted to make. Now, it might seem a little weird for a sociologist to pull in Eckhart Tolle, but I do think that in his book, A New Earth, he acknowledges exactly some of the things that sociologists talk about as what influences us, the social aspect of life. In chapter three, Tolle says this, your thinking, the content of your mind is of course conditioned by your past, your upbringing, your culture, family background, and so on. The central core of all your mind activity consists of certain repetitive and consistent thoughts, emotions, and reactive patterns that you identify most, most strongly. All of our lives, we are being taught what to value, what is important, what to seek, what to want. And in some ways, that means that we're being given very limited versions of who we can become. Sociological thinking and the awareness that it forces us to cultivate helps us to excavate, hold on, how much of what I'm thinking, these thoughts, these ideas, these things that I value, how much of that comes from the culture that I live in? How much of that comes from my family? And then the other thing is to evaluate that and acknowledge whether or not it's relevant for how I'm living my life today. And look, I'm saying it like it's easy and it's just something that you can do flippantly, but no, it's a skill that you must cultivate and develop. So when we learn how to be aware and to sort of see ourselves and what we're participating in, there is actually a big reward and benefit to doing that hard work of being part of something, but also being critical of how you're participating in that thing and how it's shaping you all at the same time. But the ugly truth, and probably the thing we don't talk enough about, is getting aware is not comfortable. It means shaking yourself out of your comfort zone. It means questioning norms. I tell my students that it means sometimes getting back into your four-year-old self that was always asking why. Why do we do things like this? Why are things this way? So awareness can bring about a fair amount of discomfort, but that discomfort does not negate the necessity of sociological thinking and why we need awareness, especially at this point in our lives. So for point two, I wanna take us back to Mills and to what Mills says is a part of the task of sociology, which is to acknowledge that there's a lot of apathy out there, which he talks about as the extreme level of indifference, that there's a lot of uneasiness, which he also talks about as anxiety, and that the goal is to help us navigate apathy and anxiety towards well-being. So let's talk about apathy and anxiety right now. So for Mills, apathy or the extreme of indifference exists because we are unaware of the things that we value and we are unaware of any threats to them. Now, I kind of feel like we can update that a little bit because to me, most of us may develop feelings of apathy because there's just so much to care about. If you have just been awake <laughs> and walking around, if you just watch the news, there's so many things to be concerned about. We can think about what happens when we live in a society where guess what? The gun laws are a little lax. So I'm concerned that I may just, God forbid, pop out to the grocery store and I could be in a mass shooting, right? We talked earlier in this episode about black maternal mortality, that I can go to the hospital to get help for something and not make it home. Again, God forbid. 
But the reality is there's so much to concern ourselves with. I got to concern myself with work. If I have a family, I'm concerned with my family, the price of eggs. I mean, so much to think about. I really think that our apathy is because it might be too much. It's overwhelming at times and checking out or numbing ourselves through the use of, you know, engaging in some of our devices a little bit too much, numbing ourselves might become the response. So I don't think apathy is that we don't actually, we're not actually aware of our values or threats to them. I think it's, we're too aware and we're choosing to remain ignorant because it offers us some solace, even if it's temporary, it might actually be more detrimental to us in the long run. Now, other than apathy, Mills also brings up anxiety as an important state of being that guess what? Sociologists are supposed to talk about. For Mills, anxiety happens because we are aware of our values and we're also aware that there are a lot of threats to these values. The way I think about that is, hey, I've been taught to value having this kind of a degree, having this kind of a career. I've been taught to value the American dream. And sometimes I look around as an elder millennial and I go, mm, I can't afford the American dream. My wages don't pay me enough to buy that home, right? The American dream seems so inaccessible to me at this point in time. And that gives me some anxiety. I feel a little bit of unease because guess what? I did do things the right way. I went to school. I got that degree. And damn it, Biden ain't ready to forgive my student loans. It's over my head. So it's important for us to also acknowledge that a lot of us are vacillating between these things. Sometimes I feel it within myself. Sometimes I am so apathetic and I'm upset with myself because guess what? Like I, I can't bring myself to care about some of these other things, even though I know that they're real and relevant and shaping my life right now. And then other times I'm so anxious because I care about so many things. I want so badly to realize my dreams and my goals and bring them to fruition. And I'm concerned that, you know what? I might not be able to realize them. Those are not states of being that I want to live in long-term. And guess what? They're not helpful states of being if what we really want to do is imagine the world we want to live in. Imagine it first and then create it. And guess what? Sociology is the tool to help us do that as well to move from feeling apathetic, to move from feeling tons of anxiety into actually working towards creating a world where we experience well-being. So let's get into that. What is well-being? All right, so let's recap real quick. Sociology exists to help us gain awareness for self-understanding and direction. Number two, after we gain that awareness, we acknowledge that yes, it might come with some discomfort and that we might be challenged to acknowledge the sources of our apathy and our anxiety. But here's the thing, we don't stop there. The goal is to end up at well-being. That's what the deep sea is here for, to have these kinds of conversations so we can actually go, hold on, <laughs> do I want to imagine a different world that I want to live in? Well-being is a concept that gets us to that kind of imagining. Now, I'm going to say this as a big idea that we're talking about, but here's the thing. Sociology is a world-building hack. I want you to think the work of Octavia Butler, N.K. Jemison, my, you know, my good Spellman sis, Namina Forna. I want you to think about the worlds that anime creates. That's world-building. That's the imagination piece. It's actually going from a positive standpoint, what do I want to see? And not always, what are the problems I want to fix? Right? What do I actually want to creatively see and envision and work towards realizing in the world right now? That's what well-being is. 
Now, Mills talks about well-being as this reality. I live in a world that reflects the values that I esteem and gives me access to realizing and bringing those values to fruition. So here's a simple example. It means that I live in a world that says, you know what? A house is an important thing to own in America. That's how you build wealth. And guess what? I have multiple ways to be able to do that. That's not the world that we live in right now. It's really important to state that if we don't take it to this next step where we are imagining well-being, we end up suffering like we are right now because this is somebody's example for well-being for us. Let's sit with that for a second. <laughs> I am currently living in someone else's imagination, someone else's example of what well-being should look like. That is problematic, y'all, because I don't want to live in a world where I'm facing the threat of a mass shooting when I go to the grocery store. I don't want to live in a world where I don't have autonomy over my own body as a woman. And it sucks to think that somebody thinks that's well-being for me, but guess what? It makes the necessity of me doing that world-building work on my own right now. I want well-being and it looks like this. How do I get to that place where I experience well-being in the here and now? This is where I find another ancestor, Bell Hooks, to be really important. Her book, All About Love, is really key for us to think about creating a world that we want to live in. The values chapter especially has a couple of ideas that I want to touch on so we understand why it's important for us to think about well-being and why it's important for us to imagine a world where well-being is the quality of life standard that we're all experiencing, regardless of our specific needs. Bell Hooks writes that there is a gap between the values they, as in us, claim to hold and their willingness to do the work of connecting thought and action, theory and practice to realize these values and thus create a more just society. Sadly, many of our nation's citizens are proud to live in one of the most democratic countries in the world even as they are afraid to stand up for individuals who live under repressive and fascist governments. They are afraid to act on what they believe because it would mean challenging the conservative status quo. That's it right there, y'all. We can no longer be afraid to act on what we believe, especially if we really want to realize the values that we esteem. If we esteem these values and we want to live in a world that reflects our values, then we have to take inspired action. Now, again, and I'm not telling you that you got to go march in the streets like it's Soweto, but I am telling you to challenge yourself to consider what am I willing to do to experience well-being, not just for me and my family, but for the collective us. And that brings me to another key point about well-being that we have to also acknowledge. Well-being can't just be about the accumulation of material possessions and hitting a certain level of wealth. I think we've got to challenge ourselves to think a little bit more deeply around what's a state of being for us, right? Does well-being also mean that um, I get to live in a world where I'm not concerned about the safety of my Black brother, my Black father, the Black men in my life? Does well-being also mean that I have reasonable expectations about the kind of food that I eat? right? Um, about my level of trust in the government, about my level of trust in the information that comes out on the news. I mean, we can be really expansive with what well-being means to us. And I think we have to, because we're not all the same people. I know well-being is a lofty concept and the examples I'm giving are really important and deep. But I think about it like this. 
some of what we're doing in the deep sea is forcing ourselves to stop and acknowledge that the way things are, aren't the way they have to be. And that my power lies in my ability to make choices and my ability to also say, hey, those choices or the options that I'm getting aren't enough for me. Considering well-being means also considering places where we've actually settled and we have gone, well, these politicians are like this. Well, what can I do? And I'm not gonna hold you. I'm not indicting anybody out there. I'm indicting myself. I'm thinking about ways that I have disempowered myself, ways that I have been, oh, what can I do? Actually, the deep sea is one of the things that I can do, right? Get us talking about how we've settled for a society that does not actually meet our needs. And here's the thing, the more we settle, the less we get, y'all. Isn't that a shocking realization? The more we settle, the less we get. And so look, this is not, this episode is not gonna give us all the answers, but I think it sets the stage for us to explore what do I need to do as an individual, right? To awaken my own consciousness, to raise my awareness, and then to get to that place where I'm taking inspired action. And that could look like the activism of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It could look like my activism right here, what I do in the classroom and the fact that I'm choosing, even though I'm a little uncomfortable doing this, but that I'm choosing to share these ideas on a platform like this, right? And then it's up to you to take your piece and run with it. Maybe that means that if you're a nurse who recognizes that there's medical racism, that you take it upon yourself to, I don't know, have certain conversations, develop a workshop, right? But it can't be that we resign ourselves to accepting things and going, it is what it is. Nah, that means we're going to continue to suffer and we don't have to. So we just took a journey, y'all. But let me just cool it down and sum it up like this. We want to get free, then we want to think sociologically. That's it for me. I fully believe that sociological thinking is one of our underutilized tools for liberation. We want that awareness. Why? We want to better understand how the ideas, the cultural beliefs, the values of the world around us are shaping the choices that we're making, right? We want to use that awareness to acknowledge places where, you know what, we might have become indifferent and cold and callous to the reality of suffering. We want to use that awareness to move us past being fearful and anxious to actually envisioning the world that we want to live in, imagining that world like it's an actual you know, a reality. And then also acknowledging that we, the collective we, you and I, can make choices that get us to that place of well-being. I love that quote from MOK where he says, we are caught in this inescapable network of mutuality, right? Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We cannot think that our choices just exist in a vacuum and that they don't shape other people's lives either. No, this is a charge to the collective we to acknowledge that if we can embrace sociological thinking, if we can move past the discomfort of awareness, if we can right, use sociology to chart our path from apathy and anxiety to well-being, that we can actually live in a world that reflects our values. One that actually makes us feel happy, not anxious, right? One that we can afford to care because it's not, the cost of caring isn't so great that we check out. 
we can live in that world. I want to live in that world. And no, I don't think that's a utopian vision. I think it's a real reality that we can experience. But the task for us is not to settle. It's to keep our foot on the necks of everybody that has a decision to make that either gets us closer to well-being or keeps us in a state of, state of apathy or anxiety. That's what we're fighting for, folks. We are no longer settling and resigning ourselves to living in somebody else's example of well-being that leaves us suffering. So here's a couple questions for us all to consider until we meet next time. What does well-being mean to you? And I mean, th really think about it. What's the quality of life that you want? What are your beliefs around the standard quality of life that we all should be able to have? Unpack that a little bit. I also want us to consider what would it mean if we embraced well-being and the idea that we all deserve a certain quality and standard of life, right? What would that empower us to want to change? What would you change if you knew that well-being was actually possible? That it wasn't something to only realize in heaven or something that might not be realized in your generation? What would you change? I'm gonna think about that too. Now, in the meantime, when you got your answer, feel free to share a response on Instagram, on the Deep Sea page on TikTok. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, wherever podcasts are, you can find us. And guess what? I wanna hear from you. I really wanna know that you've tackled this question and I promise you in the next episode, I'm gonna share my response too because I'm also gonna think about it. And I hope that you'll join me in this. All right, folks, that's our episode. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and write a review wherever you find or listen to podcasts. We're on every platform. And thanks so much for deep sea diving with me today. That's it, y'all. See you next time on the Deep Sea with Donna Lee.